From Islamic Finance News, the world's leading Islamic finance news provider, this is IFN Podcast. Social finance, while it has always been an integral part of Islamic finance, has risen to greater prominence in recent years as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. This year, we saw the charity Save the Children UK tapping Zakat Fund. Now, this underscores the increasing recognition of the impact that could be created through Islamic forms of giving. My name is Wien Tan, and in this episode, we speak to Formida B, the Global Chair and Europe, Middle East and Africa Chair for Northern Rose Fulbright, the law firm who helped structure the transaction to allow Save the Children Access Zakat Fund to learn more about the exercise. Hi, Farmida. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'd like to start our conversation today um, about an interesting deal that Northern Rose Fulbright has actually worked on. You've worked with the Save the Children a UK charity to enable it to receive zakat. Can you tell us more about this deal and really why was it significant? So, as you said, we've been working with Save the Children UK, but they, of course, are a global charity and they work in many areas where um, it would be appropriate for Sagarth funds to be used to help children in Muslim-majority countries. And so when we were having a discussion with them about their potential sources of funding, um, one of the areas that they had not tapped that we know some other charities have done is Zakat. As you know, Muslims across the world are required by their faith to pay 2.5% of their their excess wealth beyond their needs uh, to charity each year. And there are strict requirements about how you calculate zakat and how you deal with it. Um, and so we worked with Save the Children and uh, Sheikh Haytham uh, as the scholar who advised them uh, to put together a structure for Save the Children to be able to uh, ask for zakat funding and then to treat it in a Sharia compliant manner and to use it to support people who are eligible for zakat aid. Okay, so zakat regulation can, of course, be quite complex. You know, I'm just thinking about countries such as Malaysia, for example, when zakat falls under the purview of 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 the sultan. So what challenges did you face in structuring this for Save the Children, what's the UK zakat regulatory landscape like? So the UK, as you know, uh, doesn't have a regulatory framework for Sharia-compliant finance. So the general mm-hmm. that you have to comply with the regulatory requirements that apply to conventional finance. And then whether it complies with Sharia or not is something for the participants to determine. So we needed to comply with uh, charitable fundraising rules in the UK. And Sheikh Haytham provided the Sharia compliance fatwa. But say the children were going to be raising uh, zakat funding primarily to begin with in the Gulf countries. And there are strict rules around um, charitable fundraising, Sharia compliant fundraising in various jurisdictions across the Gulf. And so we needed to work with our colleagues in uh, in the different countries to understand what the restrictions and requirements are in each of those jurisdictions and make sure that uh, the Save the Children's Zakat funding program complied with each of those. So the challenge wasn't so much in the UK where Save the Children is a well-known 
charity registered with the Charity Commission um, and where the legal framework for Islamic um, structures is well established. But in putting together a structure which could then be used to raise funding um, in jurisdictions where there are um, very clear restrictions around who can fundraise for a charity and for what and what constitutes Sharia compliant fundraising. We needed to go to each specific jurisdiction, understand what the rules were, and then make sure that we were complying with them in order to enable Save the Children to target that particular market. Now, Save the Children are hoping that um, ultimately there's a gap uh, fundraising platform will become sort of more global but each time they look at potentially accessing a jurisdiction for zakat funding we would have to do the same analysis for that jurisdiction right so this sounds like quite a large scale project to me because it does involve multiple jurisdiction as you've um, kind of explained is this the first first time a deal like this was structured um, the first time for us, but not in the market. Mm. We have um, a, a strong relationship with Save the Children. We have an ongoing uh, relationship where we provide all kinds of pro bono advice to them. And we've been uh, working on, we support them in specific projects. So, for example, our global fund this year is working with them in Cambodia for a, a non-Sharia compliant uh, project where they're supporting a community um in Cambodia. So, so we work with Save the Children on an ongoing basis. We provide them with pro bono work on all, all kinds of different um, uh, projects that they're looking at. And for us, setting up a Zagat funding platform was a, was a first. But we are aware that there are other charities, both in the, in the UK and elsewhere, that do raise funding in a Zagat compliant way. So sorry, in a Sharia-compliant way. So, for example, UNICEF does, WaterAid does, a charity like Islamic Relief does. So there are examples in the market um, of where Zakat funding is being um, uh, asked for by uh, charities that operate across borders. Um, But this was the first time that we worked on it. So on the topic of Zakat, so obviously... With what happened the last two years in COVID, I felt like um, what we've seen is that Islamic social instruments such as Zakat, Sadaqa, really came to the forefront um, as part of this larger ESG conversation. And within the Islamic finance industry, we have seen ESG seems to be the buzzword for the industry. And of course, um, Walter Ross Fulbright has worked on several landmark um, Islamic ESG deals as well. Could you share with us your observation of the Islamic ESG sector, you know, in your opinion, has the sector taken off? Where are we seeing opportunities? Um, what's your observation of the market? So um, ESG, as as you know, is something that has become hugely more important in the conventional markets uh, more broadly. It, it is something that investors and institutions are very focused on. And that is also the case in the Islamic capital markets and and markets more broadly. Um, We have seen ESG in the Islamic markets primarily focused on the E, so 
quite a lot of, for example, uh, renewable project financing, um, trying to address the carbon uh, challenge that the, the world faces. And, and that is also the case with the conventional markets. There is a lot of financing that focuses on environmental issues. And as you said, over the last three years with COVID, there is an increased focus on social needs and what that means. Um, we haven't seen as much of that in the Islamic uh, finance market just yet. Um, there is clearly a huge need and COVID has highlighted that and there is a, a lot of focus on how COVID has resulted in um, in, in progress being delayed and sometimes being reversed in achieving the social developmental goals. And I think as we look at uh, the latest COP, which will uh, take place at the beginning of November in Egypt, that focus on what progress we're making on social development goals is always there. And Islamic finance, I have always believed, is a perfect um, framework for achieving those broader social developmental goals, because the, the basis of Islamic finance is that finance exists to improve society. It has to be there for a broader social purpose, um, whether that's trade on fair terms or whether it's there to try and improve society more broadly through making sure that people have access to good jobs, to education, to clean water, to, to all the things that um, that we need to improve society with. And one of the really, I think, fascinating things at the moment is the way impact financing has become much more important. So effectively, private sector investors make an investment with the intention of getting back a commercial return. But the goal of that investment is to make a social improvement, create an impact which benefits society as a whole. So I think Islamic finance has this fantastic opportunity to participate in this growth in both ESG and impact financing, because at the core of Islamic finance, you have principles which says money has to be used for a social good. And really, there is nothing more socially useful than trying to improve the lives of people who have suffered disproportionately over the last three years during COVID. Absolutely. And you made a really good point about impact finance. I also like your observation about the fact that there, there are a lot more focus on environmental issues within Islamic finance. And with that, even in the conventional world, there is this very real concern on greenwashing. And so in light of this issue, we've seen the FCA in the UK propose new rules to tackle this issue. My question to you, you know, are the rules sufficient, you think, and really what can we, the Islamic finance industry, learn from this and how best should we position ourselves to prevent greenwashing? Well, I think um, all the rules that we're seeing coming along from different regulators, we've seen rules this year, um, for example, from the SEC, we've seen rules um, now coming from the FCA, and um, more broadly, the, the European Union has been producing guidelines and regulations around um, what needs to be disclosed, what counts as a green product, and that's all, you know, that's all right and proper. As we said at the beginning of this discussion, ESG has been growing very quickly and has become a very significant part of the market. And investors 
in green products need to know exactly what is meant when claims are made. So to some extent, you know, that is what market regulation has always been about. There being clarity about the product that is being sold to an investor and an investor being able to rely on statements and, and investing on that basis. Um, so the fact that there is there are increasing uh, rules and regulations around what counts as a green product is helpful for everybody, including uh, the Islamic finance markets and Islamic investors, because you know certainty is one of the things that is required for a Sharia compliant contract to be valid, and for the investor to know what it is that they're buying, and for the, uh, the, the the person bringing the transaction to the market to be clear about what they're offering, is inherently a Sharia-compliant process. Now, one of the things that I think we need to be aware of is, you know, for the last 20 years, I've heard uh, people in the market say that Islamic finance needs to be more standardised. And I think to some extent, we have to make that challenge to the ESG market as well. As I said, we're getting rules and regulations coming from lots of different um, uh, regulators from lots of different markets and many of our clients operate across borders and need to satisfy the requirements of many regulators. So I think increasingly there is going to be a demand for a single set of regulations about what counts as a green product, what disclosures need to be made about that green product. Um, And so the requirement for standardization, which has always been the challenge made to Islamic finance, I think will be the challenge made to the ESG market. There's also been a lot of discussion about whether there need to be a separate set of rules for Islamic ESG and what counts as an Islamic green product. I think we should probably wait before we move into an alternative um set of requirements for Islamic green products to see where the conventional market is, because it may not be helpful for us to come up with yet another set of requirements, um, which could potentially make Islamic green products or Islamic ESG a tiny subset of what will hopefully be a very large conventional ESG market. So, There are a lot of rules and regulations coming. They're in response to how quickly this market is growing. Uh, Islamic finance needs to be a part of that. But I think increasingly we're going to see pressure for there to be standardized requirements. And I think that should apply to Islamic finance as well when it operates in that ESG market. Thank you for listening. For more discussions on the Islamic finance industry, log on to www.islamicfinancenews.com. You can also listen to IFN Podcast on your favorite platforms, including iTunes and Spotify.